We're going to talk about Sabbath rest and resting truly. Anybody tired? The rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you were too tired to raise your hand, right? We're all tired. We're all tired. Um, today's sermon is going to be incredibly important. Those of you that were here this morning, today's morning, um, I, I say this, of course, all the time, but I don't know if I could think of a more important topic that I wish I knew in my 20s so that now that I'm in my 40s, I could actually be healthier in my Christian life and in my actually personal life. Um, I've gotten uh, I've given you a list of resources because I can't cover everything. This is a five-week sermon series. There's a list of books that were helpful for me in the back of your bulletins. Today's topic in particular was this book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. Mark Buchanan, and uh, this is an excerpt here. Actually, I had a question. Would you guys rather hear a really sort of Holy Spirit-filled, encouraging, godly email or kind of a story that's a little bit possibly offensive and potentially funny? <laughs> so if you're new to our church, you know, this is the kind of church we are. We would rather hear something that's possibly offensive and potentially funny over an email that's spiritually uplifting. Okay. See, this is exactly, so Carlton's going like this, and then Janice is going like this, okay? So unfortunately, this morning, this is going to win, okay? It, it's in the book. He says this. He says, when you've had one of those take-this-job-and-shove-it days. Anybody have those days? Okay. Again, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you're too tired to do that. Try this. He says, on your way home, stop at your pharmacy and go to the section where they have thermometers. You will need to purchase a rectal thermometer made by the Q-Tip company. Be sure that you get this brand. When you get home, lock your doors, draw the drapes, and disconnect the phone so you will not be disturbed during your therapy. Change into something comfortable, such as a sweatsuit, and lie down on your bed. This is a a, a very, very good God-centered book. I just want you to, okay? I just... (laughs) Don't let this. He says, then open the package containing the thermometer. Remove it. Carefully place it on the bedside table so that it will not be chipped or broken. Then take the written material that accompanies the thermometer. As you read it, pay special attention to the small print that says, every rectal thermometer made by Q-tip has been personally tested (laughs) then he says close your eyes and say out loud five times thank you oh thank you lord that i do not work in quality control at the q-tip company (laughs) all right yeah you ought to be grateful for your job you know what i'm saying that's what i'm talking about Today, as we talk about rest, Sabbath rest, we got to get over probably the most, most misunderstood aspect of what it means to keep the Sabbath. How many of us that grew up in church, we were told, keep the Sabbath, and that meant go to church on Sundays? Raise your hands. Yeah. Yeah. All of us grew up in church. What did it mean? Keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. Go to church on Sunday, right? That is little. I was going to say nothing, but it has very little to do with what the Sabbath was supposed to be. In Genesis 2, God literally says, if you do not learn to practice this well, you're going to die. My translation. 
Genesis 1 and 2 is about life and death, about life and death, about the foundation of things we've been talking about throughout the sermon series. And God says, here's one of the most important things that you need to know about work, whether you're underemployed, overemployed, everything in between. Unless you learn to keep the Sabbath and rest. Your life, my life, and what God intended for it, we can never live out. Now, there's some major cultural societal challenges to living out the Sabbath. Here are some of them. One, job insecurity. We live in a culture and a time in which, I mean, people in our church, you've been laid off. Companies are downsizing. Do good work, you may get fired, along with doing bad work. Job insecurity has never been more prevalent in a long time than today. Here's the second reason. Income disparity. Economic analysts tell us that people in some of these companies at the very top make 100 to 200 times more than people at the bottom. And that means that you are expected to work that much harder to make sure that you have that job. And oh, by the way, if you slip just a little bit, there's a line of people right behind you ready to take that job. But here's the other thing that's done. It's also created people way at the bottom who have to work two, sometimes three jobs just to make ends meet. Here's a third reason. Technology. How many of you have ever wanted to take your phone and just, just chuck it at a cement wall? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been tempted to do that many, many times. I'm just too cheap. That's why I won't do it, because I don't want to pay more money to get another phone. Because we could work anywhere, we work what? Everywhere. Everywhere. Can't leave home without it. I have literally been on vacations where it was, and this is so stupid. I've been on vacations where it was a battle and fight not to check my email. What is that? What is that? Can anybody relate? Technology. Here's the fourth. Cultural shifts. For literally majority of human history, traditional societies, guess how you found your identity, your significance, your role in society? It was by your family roles. What do I mean? Your identity was your father. You're a mother. You're a brother, sister, husband, or wife. Cultural experts have said that we are probably the first generation in the last 30, 40 years, the first generation in history where we try to find and define, identify who we are by what we do. Hundred years ago, dads didn't look at their sons and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Didn't have to. Your lot in society was pretty much set from the time you were born. But think of what it does when you say, I define who I am. Who I am as a person, as a human being, is defined by what I do, what I accomplish, how much success, achievement I make. What does that do? I said this to somebody. Look, if your career is your life, and your career blows up, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to you? The thing that you found meaning in life in blows up and doesn't work out, what's going to happen to you? Here's the last one. Uh, existential angst. I said this morning, you know, I make fun of people that talk like this. Existential angst. And I'm one of them, right? So existential angst, what do I mean? Here's a quote by Stephen Jay Gould, an atheistic anthropologist and philosopher. He says, we are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. Because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age. Because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and hook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. Wow! (laughs) But let me ask you something. If there is no God, there's such thing as a relationship with God. How do you find out that there's any meaning in who you are and what you do? How do you do it? 
How do you do it? What is our culture then? We define it. We create it. By what? By what I do. By how much I make. By what school I get into. Bank account, careers, etc., etc., etc. So here we are, you guys, living in a culture, whether you're overemployed or underemployed, a culture that has never needed more rest than ever, but we've needed more rest than ever before. But we have less time to truly rest than we've ever had. And we have less emotional, mental ability to rest. And the result is a society and a culture in which we're overworked, underworked, enormous pressure, completely at loss of what it means to truly, truly rest. So how do we deal with it? I'll tell you how some people in our church deal with it because they come in for counseling. We medicated. We drink, go to bars on weekends, forget about my problems. Some of us take drugs. Some of us, uh, we fantasize. Ever fantasize at work about what your ideal life would look like? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I do that a lot. I don't know what that means. I'm just being honest. I do that a lot. Like sometimes I'll be at work and, and, and in my fantasy, can I just share my fantasy? My, my fantasy, it's always, it's always in Hawaii, you know. My office is located right by the ocean. And as I look out the window, there's a beach. And there are perfect aqua blue waters and waves. And oh, by the way, there's a coffee shop literally like walking distance where they make the best strong coffee ever. And then if I get a little parched and thirsty from, you know, reading all day and writing all day, I walk down where they make the perfect girly tropical drinks for me. I'm just being honest, all right? You know? And in the afternoon, you know what I do to chill out in the afternoon? In my, vision, in my fantasy. In the afternoon, I just go by the beach, right? And I just lay there in the sun and I commune with Jesus over a tropical drink and a good book. And people actually pay me to do it in my fantasy, right? You, you and I deal with this in a number of ways. The, here's the sad reality, though. As I look out today, there's some of you. You're running a rat's race. You don't even know how to stop. There's some of you so tired, so exhausted, it's become the norm that you don't know what it feels like actually to be rested. Some of you are so caught up in meeting, and I'll talk about this, expectations of what our culture says, what our society says about who you are, what you ought to do. That you don't even actually know yourself and who you are. In all this, God says, I offer something better than a fantasy, an escape, way to medicate yourself. God says, I offer the gift of myself. And we'll see what that means. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. One of the most important sermons I will have ever preached. If you understand and know and get this and could live this out in your life. Oh, wow. It's it's. Huge. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. The Sabbath rest of God. What is that? One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Whoa, what are you doing that's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, here's, here's what's going on. And you need to understand why the Pharisees and religious leaders are freaking out. So God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. And do you remember what the fourth commandment was? Remember the Sabbath. 
The fourth commandment was remember the Sabbath. God says you need to rest. Remember the Sabbath. But here's what the Israelites, the religious leaders had done by the time Jesus rolls around. Because they're like, we're all about keeping the commandments of God. They came up with what was called the halakha. Halakha were these additional rules and regulations that the Jewish leaders put on top of the Ten Commandments to make sure that they were being obedient to all the commandments. And by the time Jesus rolls around, check this out, there are 39, 39 specific detailed rules about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And one of them was reaping grain, what the disciples are doing. So the religious leaders are picking up on this, and they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you violating what God specifically told, which God didn't do, what God specifically told us not to do? And Jesus' response to this, and we'll get to it in a moment, is he doesn't directly answer. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he's affirming Sabbath. He's going, if you're a follower of Jesus, take this seriously. You need to do it. And secondly, he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Now, let's keep reading. Okay, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Verse 10, he looked around at them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man did so, and his hand was completely restored. Now, guys, there's a powerful, powerful truth here about what the Sabbath is, but give me a moment just to talk about something that is critical for us here as a church, as gospel-believing people. Jesus is absolutely ticked off and angry at the religious leaders. Why? Because they're completely missing the point of the Sabbath, which, by the way, some of you and I do. They're totally missing the point of the Sabbath, missing the forest for the trees. Why? Jesus comes to them and goes, you're consumed with keeping rules and regulations. And he says, do you not realize what the Sabbath is really for? He says the Sabbath is about healing. The Sabbath is about restoration. The Sabbath is about being replenished, being restored. The Sabbath is about what I'm going to do to this man, which is heal, restore, replenish. And at the same time, he's looking at them, he's going, you're consumed with keeping these rules and regulations that you don't realize that the basic intent and motive of the law that God gave it's not so that by doing it, you can be acceptable to God, approved by God, that God would love you. But you're living into something God gave for your own good. Now, if you're sitting there, you're going, that sounds a little bit like what we talk about a lot in our church. And it's right. Jesus, all over the New Testament, you guys, has distinguished the difference between gospel and religion. And religion, I mean by that, is religiosity or legalism. You know, the stuff that some of you grew up with that forced you to walk away from the church. Because... The religious leaders who are religious and stuck on this, their perspective towards the law of God, listen very carefully, their perspective towards the law of God is what? I obey so God loves me. I do so God accepts me. I follow the rules and regulations and therefore I'm acceptable by God. That is their entire motive. And if you do that in your life, you're going to be completely insecure, anxious, and self-righteous. I'll tell you why. If your entire acceptance before God is dependent on whether you're obeying the rules or not, number one, how do you know that you're doing enough? How do you know? The answer, you don't. So what do you do? 
you come up with an endless list of rules to cross every T, to dot every I, to make sure that you're doing it. So God says, keep the Sabbath holy. It's not enough. I want to make sure, because unless I keep the Sabbath holy, I'm not going to be acceptable before God. So I'm going to come up with what? 39 rules and regulations on top of that that tells me exactly what I need to do. Attention to details. Result? Total insecurity. Is that you, by the way? Completely anxious. Am I accepted by God? Is that you, by the way? And self-righteous. Inevitable self-righteousness. Why? Because if your entire approach to God is one of rule-keeping, how do you know that you're doing well? I'll tell you this. You're not comparing yourself to Jesus. You're comparing yourself to who? To who? Everybody else, other people. So here are the religious leaders that are totally bent on keeping rules and regulations, missing the point of why God gave them so that they think they can be accepted before God, righteous before God, and so they come up with 30, and the whole time there's a man who needs healing, and they could care less about him. You know what's so ironic, by the way, I didn't share this morning. In verse 9, it keep going, it says that they then plotted to kill him. So here are the Pharisees who say it's okay to plot to kill Jesus on Sabbath, but it's not okay for Jesus to heal somebody on Sabbath. Now you're sitting there going, that's crazy. Who does that? Do you know what the worst thing about legalism is, self-righteousness? We use rules to hurt people. There are a number of you have a conversation. The reason why you walked away from the church or if your friend invited you to go to church, boom, you're like, uh, uh, uh. Why? Because immediately when you think of church, you think of God. What? You think of rules and regulations and you think of self-righteous people who go, these are rules and regulations. You're in because you do them, and you're out because you don't do them. These are people that are accepted by God and loved by God because you do them. These are people that don't. We use rules and regulations to hurt people. Self-righteousness. And Jesus comes along and he goes, that's not the point. It's not the point. It's not the point. Jesus, the gospel is about in Christ you're accepted, you're loved. Therefore you obey. Therefore you follow the commandments. Can I just tell you something? I want you to repeat after me. Do you know if you're a gospel-centered person, do you know what motivation is to avoid sin? I say to myself, I go, why would I do that and hurt the person I love the most? Why would I do that and hurt the person I love the most? Gospel-centered response to obedience. Say that with me. Why would I do that? and hurt the person I love the most. Say it again. Why would I do that and hurt the person? Is that your motivation for Christian living? Wow. Why would I do that and hurt the person I love? Do you know why God gives rules and God gives laws? It's not so that by them we could be acceptable before God. God goes, these are ways that you live to delight and love the person who died and redeemed you. Why would I do that and hurt the person I love the most? So here's Jesus coming along, and he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the, lo- uh, the Son of Man is Lord, even of Sabbath. And I love what he's saying there, because number one, he's saying to you, you don't need to obey the Sabbath <laughs> for God to love you. Some of you are going, whoo, let me tell you something, as a pastor, you don't need to come to church for God to think that you're a good Christian and that you love him. I know for some of us, we drag ourselves out of bed in the morning and go, I got to keep the Sabbath. I got to go to church. Why? Because it's drilled into our heads. If I don't go to church, then God won't love me. Then God won't bless me. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus' words, it doesn't change one iota about how God feels about you, whether you keep the Sabbath or not. Is that good news? Oh, good Lord. You guys, 
Jesus comes along and goes, you don't do this so that I can love you more, I can accept you more. That's settled, man. It's settled at the cross. Sabbath is given, not for God, but for you. Say if Sabbath was given to save you from yourself. What do you mean? That's what we're going to look at. Sabbath was given to save you for yourself. How? Well, Jesus says here. He says, I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. And by the word, in case you're wondering, the word Sabbath, the closest relationship to that word is the word shalom in the Hebrew Old Testament. And that shalom word means wholeness, flourishing. And here's what Jesus is literally saying. Oh, Jesus is going, I am the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. What's Jesus going? He's going, Sabbath is not just about a day. Sabbath is not just about doing something. Sabbath is a person. And he says, chew rest for your soul. True rest for your soul that you're longing for is found in me. Now, how does that work? Genesis 1 and 2. Oh, Genesis 1 and 2. God comes along and God creates. And the Bible says that on the seventh day he rested. And we looked at that for the first two, three Sundays. He rested. Why does God rest? Because God's tired? Church? Okay, <laughs> y'all are throwing me off this this morning. God's not tired. God doesn't get tired. Good Lord, God doesn't sleep. God doesn't get tired. God's God for crying out loud. So why does God say he rested? What does that mean? We think of rest as getting over being tired. But what does God mean when he says he rested? Here's what it means. Throughout creation, he creates and he goes, oh, that's good. He creates and he goes, oh, that's good. He creates and he goes, oh, that's good. And the sixth day, he created everything. And the Bible says, that's very good. And then he says, he rested. What do I mean? To be at rest is to look at everything that you've done and to say, I am totally satisfied, totally content with what's being done. There's no more needs to be done. I'm going to walk away. When's the last time you did that? Sister back there just looked at me and said, oh, while. Can I ask you something? Have you ever done that? Do you even know what that feels like? even know what it feels like as a parent in your job as a student to be able to look at the work that you do and because you're so secure you're so affirmed you're so sure and you're so sure in your identity security that you look at it and go everything is done it's done i'm good i'm gonna walk away get some rest now when is the last time you did that some of us we don't even know what that feels like we don't even know what that feels like on Friday, as soon as you get off work, you know what you're thinking about? You're thinking about the laundry list of things to do on Saturday. And on Saturday, when you do it, you think about laundry list of things to do on Sunday. Oh no, Sunday comes around, I gotta go to work on Monday. And by the way, I'll talk about this later. You know what the worst invention ever is leisure. What the heck is leisure? What the heck is leisure activity? You know what most of us, it's weekends. I'm gonna do leisure activity. Are you truly rested from a weekend when you go to work on Monday? Answer? Our life is totally out of whack, and we don't even know what to do. Why? Here's the author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. He says, there remains in a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. And I said to you before, please understand this. Please understand this. It's not just about work, the author of Hebrews saying. When you think of work, we go external work, physical work, the job that I do. Also, he was saying, every single one of us, there is work 
underneath the work. There's your work in what you do, and there's work on what's the work underneath the work? The work that says, because of this, I'm okay. Because I accomplished that, I'm good. Because I can accomplish these things and success in these things, I'm secure. Because I can do these things, I am somebody. Because I accomplish these things, I can look at myself in the mirror. Because of these things, that work underneath the work that we do is never, ever done. Never. Never. So the deafening voice continues. Are you working hard? If you don't, you're not going to get ahead, you know. How the heck are you going to make all that money that you know you need to make if you don't work as much? Who do you think you are? Taking a break? What are you talking about? The deafening voice of culture's expectations, family expectations, our self-salvation expectations, our identity expectations, constantly, 24-7, blaring into our ears, the work underneath the work, and that work is never, ever done. It's never about just about your work. Work underneath the work is never done. It's never done. It's never done. It's never done. Do you remember this quote from Madonna? You're going, why are you pulling up your phone, man? I told you, man. I'm a, I can't get away from it. This woman has made $650 million net worth. She sold more than 300 million records worldwide, recognized as a top world-selling female recording artist of all time by the Guinness Book of Records. Her live concerts have made a billion dollars over the course of a 30-year career. And you're sitting there going, if I had some of that, I think I would be able to rest, you think. Here's what she says, right? In an interview with Vanity Fair, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feelings of inadequacy. Can we have an Oprah honest moment? How many of us struggle with feelings of inadequacy? Yeah. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being of worth. And then I get another stage. And then I think I'm mediocre all of a sudden and uninteresting and worthless. And I have to find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being inadequate and mediocre. And it's always pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Work underneath the work. By the way, this isn't about income. And <laughs> Do you know, in my personal opinion, as a pastor, do you know how I've seen struggle with this more than anything else? Are people who work for nonprofit. People in social work. Struggle with this more than, and what's really, really, really scary for me is that some of these folks, it's like in this convoluted, twisted way, they go, I'm killing myself, but I'm helping people. I'm doing all of this for Jesus, even though I'm ruining my health, ruining my relationships, and everything else. So let me, why are you working for a nonprofit? Why are you teaching? Why are you in social work? Why are you a counselor? Why are you a pastor? Peter, preached to yourself this morning. I am. Why are you a pastor? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Is it about the work? Heck no. It's the work underneath the work. And that work is never Do you know that about yourself? Do you know what it means to become a Christian? Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. 
To become a Christian is to become someone who's able to look at your life, look at your work the way God looked at his work. To become a Christian is to be able to look at your work, look at your life the way God. In other words, God comes to you and says, it's all good. It's finished. There's nothing more to be done. But what about, no, what about, it's all good, it's all good. Do you realize, thank you for bringing the cross. Do you realize, do you realize what the cross means? I, I just realized this week, you know, I talk about the cross. Do you, not, do you realize Jesus on the cross, listen very carefully, is experiencing eternal cosmic restlessness. You know the restless feeling you have, like, I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite enough, feeling inadequate, that insecurity. Jesus on the cross is feeling that to the nth degree that you and I will never understand. Why is he doing that? Who is he doing that for? For who? For us. Because on the cross, the Bible says God turned his face away. When you turn your face away from God, that's eternal restlessness. Any human being that turns their face away from God, eternal restlessness. Cosmic, eternal, infinite restlessness. And Jesus on the cross literally is experiencing that. Why? So that on his death and resurrection, he says, it is finished. What's finished, Jesus? Everything finished for your salvation. So you could stop. And you can rest. Until this thing is drilled down into your head and my heart. Until this thing says, my affirmation, my security, my significance, my drive, all that I need has been done, accomplished. Until that resonates in the depths of our soul, we will never be able to rest. You cannot silence that voice. There's nothing worse. I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than thinking, if I have that, only to get there and realize what? It's not It's not enough. It's never 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 enough. What's going to quiet the deafening voice that shouts to you and me? Come on, we hear this all the time. What kind of a doctor do you want to be? What kind of worker do you want to be? What kind of a wife, husband? What kind of a person do you want to be? And we go, that's right, that's right, that's right. Get going, get going, get going, get going. And we never pause to go, what is this? I share this morning, do you know the worst part of it all for me? And this honestly makes me sick to my stomach. Is when I realize that God give, God's given all work to serve and love other people. Genuinely is to serve and love the human community. Do you realize that when I do it for myself, it's like I'm loving myself by using other people. And I hate that. I hate that. I work and work and work. Why, Peter? For God? Glory of God? For other people? No. It's ultimately so that I can feel good about myself. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So I could feel good about myself? So I could still the restlessness in me by using other people? Oh, are you doing that? And the gift of work and twisting it and using it. So what do we do? <laughs> Practically. Because <laughs> it, it, be, it would just be tragic if I said, so help us, Lord Jesus. Good luck. There's two disciplines, and they're not easy. Two disciplines, and we're done with this. One, inner disciplines. Everybody say inner disciplines. Inner disciplines. What do I mean? Keeping the Sabbath is a day and an attitude. Before there is a change in terms of how we approach a specific day, there's got to be a change in our hearts about the Sabbath. What do I mean? There's two things I want you to remember. Keeping the Sabbath. Recognize that Sabbath is an act of liberation. Say this with me. Ready? Recognize that Sabbath is an act of liberation. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, 15, this is where God actually gives the commandment 
to the Israelites to take a Sabbath. Here's what God says. This is the original context, folks. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And Israel's like going, yep, yep, oh, we remember that, all right? And then God says something strange. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God goes, I'm giving you the Sabbath. Why? Because I want you to remember that you were slaves. Okay? What's everything to do with anything? Here's what it has to do with it. It has to do with everything. God's going, do you remember when you were a slave? Yeah, oh, how can we forget, Lord? Do you remember that? Yep. Did you have a choice on whether you wanted to rest or not? Mm, no. You didn't have a choice, did you? Mm, no. Couldn't rest even if you wanted to? Mm, no. Do you remember when the hot sun of Egypt, hot sun of Egypt, you just wanted a drink. You just wanted a drink. Hey, just take a brief two, five-minute drink break. And you couldn't. Why? Because there was a taskmaster with the whip ready to beat you up for taking. Do you remember that? Yes. You know what God's saying? When you refuse to rest and take a Sabbath, you're acting like a slave. When you refuse to rest and take a Sabbath, it's self-imposed slavery. To which you go, that's offensive. I'm not a slave. Really. Why can't you say no? Why can't you say no? I'm not a slave. Really? Why are you overworking? Who tells you to? You know what I realized today? Does it get any worse than self-imposed slavery? <laughs> I'm free. I'm free. I've got no chains. But I choose to go back. To, remember, it's one thing to get out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of you. <laughs> it's one thing to be set free. But it's another thing to live into reality. And God is saying, when you refuse to rest, you are acting like a slave. Slave to what? It's self-imposed. Slave to culture's expectations. My parents' expectations. My own expectations. To my own identity. To my own insecurity. It's all self-imposed. But we are being slaves. God is saying, I've given you Sabbath because you're free. It's an act of liberation, man. You don't have to live like that again. Is that good news? Oh, good Lord. You and I, what are your taskmasters? We all have them. <laughs> taskmasters. For some of us, it's what? Some of us, it's our parents' expectations. I can't stop working. Why? Because I don't want to disappoint my parents. Some of us, it's what? Our, ourselves. Ourselves. Success, money, whatever it is. You, I have these taskmasters. So then on Monday, my day of Sabbath, when I sit there, and I just want to rest, the taskmaster comes and going, whoa, whoa, what do you think you're doing, Peter? I just want, it's my day of off, man, I'm resting. Rest? How quaint. How special. Do you know there's a million things to do? Yeah, yeah, there's a million things to do. You realize somebody has to do them? Yeah, yeah somebody has to do them. If you don't do them, who's going to? You're right. You're right. So I'm going to be enslaved again to my taskmaster. Not rest. And God goes, you. Sabbath is an act of liberation. It is, it is declaring my work doesn't define me. Say it with me. My work doesn't define me. Money doesn't define me. Finance. These people, them, they don't define me. Jesus Christ defines me. It is an act of defiant declaration of liberation. When you rest, you are saying to the world, you don't define me. I'm no longer defined by you. I'm defined by Christ. You know what else? 
You know why it's an act of liberation? Because you're confronting the lie of the taskmaster head on. Do you know what the taskmaster comes to you? He says, you can't rest until everything's done, you know. Can I ask you a question? Is everything ever done? Taskmaster comes and says, you can't stop until, you know, you do that better than you used to do it. Can you ever stop doing better than you? The answer is no. Sabbath is to say, I confront that lie that tells me I can't rest until it's all done because it's never done. And then I'll do it better. Better according to who? According to you? According to them? Good Lord. External, here's another one. Ready? External, uh, internal discipline. It is recognize the Sabbath is an act of trust. Say it with me. Recognize the Sabbath is an act of trust. I need you to repeat. I, we're doing a lot of, you know, together. I need you to repeat after me. Say, I am. I am. I am. Not God. Say it one more time. I am not God. Do you mean it? Do you know why Sabbath is an act of trust for some of us? The reason why we can't rest is what? If I don't work, the world's going to fall apart. Really. The world's going to fall apart because you stop working. Well, if I don't help them, nobody, nobody's going to help them. Here's a lie to me. Ready? <laughs> Peter, you know, it's all dependent on you because the church is not. And we believe it. We believe it. We believe it. I am not God. You are not God. I don't bring in the money. You don't bring in the money. I don't hold the future. You don't hold the future. We are not God. Amen? Amen. It's an act of liberation. How many of you are hallucinating? Hallucinating under the illusion that you actually keep the world under control. That if you were to kind of, you know, I don't know, spin off from the axis of the universe, that all of a sudden we, we go, that sounds absolutely stupid and ludicrous, and yet our lives say, I hold all things together and not Jesus. Good Lord. Do you know what I love about the Psalms? <laughs> I love a lot of things. Psalm 3, verse 1. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. You're going... Oh, that's cute. Look what the verse after says. (laughs) Read it with me. Ready? I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. So here's this dude. Tens of thousands of enemies. Arrows, swords. You think your situation is bad? Praise. And he says what? I'm good. I'm going to go to sleep. When's the last time you did that? With arrows drawn? I mean, literally for some of us, this is like very practical. You can't sleep at night. Why? Why? Because you're enslaved and you think you're God. Do you know what I love about this? The Jewish Sabbath began in the evening. I just think that's so cool. Do you know why? Have you ever seen a baby sleep? We say what? They sleep like there's not a care in the world. Do you know why God gave the Sabbath at night? Can I ask you something? How much do you accomplish when you're sleeping? Answer? Nada. (laughs) How much do you advance in your career when you're sleeping? Answer? Nada. How much of the world do you influence when you're sleeping? Answer? Nothing. That's the whole point. God's going You, when you fully trust that I'm at work, 
can go to sleep knowing what? Even when you do nothing, I am still God, I am still good, and I am still sovereign and at work. Good Lord. Listen, you either believe that God works for the good of all those who believe in him and according to his purpose, and you can rest, or you better work like crazy. You either believe that God is in control and you're not, or you better try harder. You either believe that you actually determine outcomes of your future, or God does. Which means you'll either rest, or 24 hours isn't going to be enough. Do you trust God? Just real quick. You know, know, people who trust God exude thanksgiving. People that trust are very thankful people. Do you know why? Do you realize to trust God, you have to be aware that God is in control? And, and, and people that are aware of small ways in which God is in control. Can I just give you, uh, give, you, give you an example? See, I got up this morning, right? I'm breathing. Wow, I'm breathing. I'm breathing. I'm healthy. I'm healthy. Now, you go, well, that's just breathing. No, no, no. You don't, if you understood my health history and realized for how many years I had stomach issues, and for years I've been on medication, you don't realize what a miracle it is for me sometimes to get up and go, hmm. The fact that I'm healthy. How often do I, in awareness of God's goodness and sovereignty, go, God, thank you for my health. Enables me to see other things in other parts of my life that go, you're at work. That's why I say ingratitude is an eye disease as much as it is a heart disease. People that are ungrateful, it's not just heart. People ungrateful are blind and can't see. External disciplines. We'll end with this. There's, so internal disciplines. Remind yourself. God is in control. Remind yourself. There's an act of liberation. One, take more Sabbath time. <laughs> you go, how much more do I need to take? Answer, take more time than you're doing right now. That's the answer. Okay? That's the answer. Let me ask you something. How many of you guys actually, this is not to show up, how many of you guys actually take one solid day out of the week just to Sabbath and rest. And I'll talk about, how many of you do that right now? Literally, there's like five people that raise their hands. Okay? Take more Sabbath time, what you're doing right now. So if you literally are not setting aside one day, which to me is the minimum, if you're not setting aside one day, one day, and you're going, then what about, see, what about? One day. Take more time. Secondly, balance your Sabbath time. Do something avocational, contemplative, something inactive. What do I mean? Avocational. You know what avocational is? Avocational is when you do something that's not a part of your work. I said something this morning and shocked and freaked everybody out. Do you know that I love fishing? I love fishing. I started fishing when I was like three years old in Korea, right? Came to the country when I was 10 years old. All through high school, seriously, all through high school, all through high school during summer vacations, I would take either my bike or the bus, I'd go to Lake Michigan, Montrose Harbor, and I'd fish for perch all day, like for seven, eight hours. Lake perch. And I'd put them in these big old white paint buckets, and I'd give them to, you know, other people that were fishing there that ate perch and stuff. And I'd come home. And those were some of, and I don't want to be corny, but some of the most spiritual experience I had with God. I stopped fishing like 20, 30, 20, whatever years ago. I haven't done it. And as I was preparing this, I'm going, why am I not doing stuff that I used to love and enjoy? Do you know what I've been doing for the last, like, seven, eight years on my Sabbath day? I'd go, I'd go, okay, on my break Sabbath, I'm going to read. So I'm going to bring these ten books. 
Somebody should have been like, stupid. You read for a living. Yeah, that's true. I read for a living. Then why are you reading during your Sabbath? Do something avocational. Secondly, contemplative. Leisure time is nonsense time. Leisure time is nonsense time. Why? Have you walked away from vacations needing a vacation? <laughs> That's me. I go on vacation. I go, I need a vacation for a vacation. Why? Do you know for it to be truly Sabbath, you can't just, it needs contemplation, which means what? Listen to me. You have to tell yourself the story of who God is and who you are. Do you know that I don't rest on Sundays. This isn't Sabbath. I work on Sundays. So on Mondays, I get up first thing. First thing I get up is I tell the story and I worship. I will give you all my worship. I will give. I tell myself the story. Peter, where's your identity found? Where's your affirmation found? Why do you do what you do? I begin with worship. And you go on. You do that all. No, I don't do that all day. But have you ever spent like one hour with somebody and it was so life-refreshing? and energizing that you walk away and your whole day is like, whoo. Spend that Sabbath time with the Lord and do the rest of the day what you want to, but begin with worship. Third, inactive. What do I mean? In the Old Testament, God says to the Israelites, every so once in a while, I want the land to rest, not just your land to rest. God, what do you want us to do? Nothing. Just let stuff grow up. Let stuff grow up. To me, it is absolutely invaluable that whatever Sabbath time you have, you literally, listen, listen, you literally set aside some structured, planned time to just let thoughts come up. Just let thoughts be. Just let thoughts be. At first, it's going to be like the laundry list of things that are going to come. And you're going to have to fight to go, no, 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 no. Let thoughts, feelings, thoughts and feelings. Old Testament, God says, let the land rest. Let anything come up. You need to do that. Fourth or third, be accountable for Sabbath time. Be accountable for Sabbath time. Some of you are residency. Some of you are starting businesses. There are seasons in our lives where you can't rest. It's going to require intense year, two, three years of intense work. And what you need to do, you need to get together with somebody and go, yo, when two years is up, when three years is up, when the season is over, I need you to keep me in check. I need you to keep me accountable. I need you to tell me, hey, that season is over. That season is over. You need to remember the Sabbath. Fourth, community. You can't do this by yourself. If you do not have people that love you and care about you, that are talking together about what this means, that are talking together about the ramifications of this, and just going at it on your own, there is no way in the world you're going to be able to still the voices inside your head, and you're going to be able to find rest. You need community of people who love you enough to check you and to keep you accountable. So the first thing you need to do is after this, you need to go to your small group, community group, and go, I'm not taking any time off. What do you want us to do for you? Keep me accountable and ask me every time we meet together, have you taken time? Have you rested? Lastly, and this is the most important, inject Sabbath time into your work. What do I mean? You know, it's not enough because you're sitting there going, all right, Peter, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work like a dog, work like a dog, work like a dog, and I'm going to rest. <laughs> I'm going to work like a dog, work like a dog. You know why I say that? Because that's me. That's me. Our staff knows. You know, I go on like three months sabbaticals. Where's Peter? He's on sabbatical. Again? Yeah, again. So I work, and I work, and I work, and I work three, three months off, three months off, three months off. And this past sabbatical, I was sitting there listening to the Lord, and, and God goes, Peter, maybe this isn't the healthiest thing to do. Maybe it's not the healthiest thing that you work like a dog, work like a dog, work like a dog, and then you just disappear. I'm like, yeah, Lord, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Say it again. Oh, they all know. They all know. And you know what I realized? 
I'm going to be real vulnerable with you guys. I'm going to share with you. You know what I realized? This aspect of injecting time into your Sabbath, it's not about running and running and running and then just stopping. Because God tells the same Israelites, when you guys grow crops, he says, I don't want you to glean to the very edges. What do you mean, God? Don't, don't glean the edges. You know what God was doing? He was putting a limit on their productivity. Do you know what this means? Listen carefully. If you take this seriously, it may mean that you don't advance in your career as high as you'd like to. But let me ask you a question. What really matters? You know what this may mean? This may mean that you don't make your millions and millions and millions enough to fill the bank so that you feel good about yourself. This may mean that other people get promotions. Do you know what this meant for me? Can I? This meant for me, and you're going to think this is silly, meant for me, me coming to grips with the fact that I wouldn't be as good of a pastor as I'd like it to be. But you know what the biggest fallacy is? Biggest fallacy and biggest lie is, when am I going to ever come to a place where I'm feeling like I'm a good pastor? The answer, never, never, never. If you're a child of God and a Christian, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not willing to put limit on your productivity, and what if I get behind? It's okay. You'll be sane. And the guy that passed you up for promotion, he'll be insane. So you have something to celebrate later. <laughs> your marriage will be intact. His marriage will be in tatters. If you want to look at it that way. By the way, one last thing. I had a college student come up. Of course, it's a Northwestern student, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had a Northwestern student. I'm sorry. I don't care. Northwestern student came up. He's heavy hearted. He's like, Pastor Peter, what if, what if, you know, because of this, I become a sloth? He used that word. He's like, what if, because I become a sloth? I don't want to become a sloth. What if I err on the side of becoming a sloth? What if this whole putting a limitation on productivity makes me a lazy sloth? And I looked at this Northwestern student who probably has like a 9.0 GPA, by the way, right? And I'm, and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. And I had to try, like, I had to, like, control myself to, like, bust out laughing, you know? I don't want to be sensitive. I had to look at him. I go, bro, um, one, I don't think your issue will be that you'll be a sloth. That's number one. I said, I think, hey, man, your problem is going to be you're going to overwork. And work yourself into the ground. Secondly, I said, the fact that you're concerned about the fact and worried about the fact that you're going to be a sloth probably is a good sign. That's not going to be an issue. Because slothful people, I don't think, know that they're slothful people. <laughs> Do you know why I say that to you? Because there may be, I'm serious, there may be three, four, five of us in this room who are like, proclivity, I'm good, man. I got no internal, external voice telling me I need to do more. I'm good, man. I am happy and happy can be. My life is balanced. Check me out two, three days a week. I am Sabbath, resting, external. I am good. I could have preached that sermon. I'm guessing, though, that for majority of us, our issue and challenge in life will be Whose voice and affirmation really matters? Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we end this sermon series. <sighs> Lord, um, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take what was spoken here today, 
what was said and what was unsaid. And that you'd somehow, you'd somehow, God, make it real to us. You know, church, I did this at the 9 o'clock, and and, then I want to do it here. Um, Always asking for honesty, always asking for vulnerability. But honestly, are you someone who struggles with this concept of finding Sabbath rest? Are you someone who struggles with just taking time off to commune with your Heavenly Father? Are you somebody who doesn't know how to stop because if that's you I'd love for you to stand with me see I'm already standing because I need your prayers I need you to pray for me and I can pray for you I want you to stand from where you are we're going to end this service by me just praying for you and then together singing this song anybody? yeah I'm going to take time to stand you're going to take time to stand that's you if that's you stand up from where you are that's you stand from where you are and what I love for you to do as you're standing is if you can just kind of stretch out your hand towards me because you're praying for me and I'm going to stretch out my hand towards you and I'll pray for you and in this next few moments I want you to pray for me I want you to pray for your pastor I want you to pray for your pastor you could preach on this but man really struggles living it is anybody else going to stand anybody else anybody else anybody else anybody else So as I pray for you right now, in your own heart, will you pray for me? God, I thank you for these precious souls. I thank you for these amazing, precious souls. I thank you, God, for the men and women who find themselves absolutely exhausted, tired, worn out, beat up, chewed out. And just at a point of going, God, I don't even know where to start. To rest. I don't even know where to start, God, to, to still that voice. I don't even know where to start, God, that you would show them. God, you would show them. That's my prayer, God, that you would show them, that you would show me, that you would show us. You would show us, me, God, the truth and reality of what happened on the cross, and you would show me and us, God, the realities of why we can rest, why we can walk away from the work of our hands and say, it's good, I'm satisfied, I'm done. It's good. I'm satisfied. I'm done. And for anybody that's standing, God, who particularly struggles with this, and they're literally at the end of their rope and just not knowing if they can take another day, another two days, another week, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, Holy Spirit, that you, you, God, in a powerful way, would minister to them right now. You can stop the yearning. You can stop the striving. You could stop. You could stop the hurry. I can't stop pace. 